Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to have an old friend in the podcast today. Our guest is Evelina Iosa. She is the Assistant Vice President Marketing, Skinceuticals at L'Oreal. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Hey, Jody. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so cool to have you here. Um, I love sitting with you and we get to sit with each other with headphones on and a microphone and that's pretty different for us. Totally. Yes. Yes. It's a nice break from a hectic day in the office and going from one meeting to another. That's right. So, um, well, let's talk about your one meeting from another. Um, You have a career specializing in aesthetics. Um, For our listeners who aren't familiar with what that means in beauty, can you tell us about it? So the aesthetics, in my opinion, is actually a part of beauty. It's almost like the art and science of beauty, taking it a level deeper than just beauty for masses. It's beauty for all, but really you are going after a very targeted consumer, the consumer who is super educated about raw material ingredients, what they want from their skincare, high performance, you know, high burden of proof on our end. So it's definitely a form of art, but it's also about the health of skin and taking care of the health of the largest organ in your body, which happens to to be the skin. So I think there's a connection between health and beauty. And I think that aesthetic plays a part in it. So um, these are brands that are doctor dispensed, right? Correct. So um, tell our listeners what that means. Uh, that means that we don't market directly to our consumers or the end users of our products. We actually go through dermatologists, or plastic surgeons, um, medical spas that are associated with dermatologists or so skincare professionals who are licensed, who believe in our product, believe in the science, but it's backed, uh, you know, it's backing our product uh, benefits and claims. And they actually recommend the products, the layering, the regimens, step-up programs to the patient for overall health and beauty of skin and complexion. And it kind of helps them also enhance the procedures and treatments they offer in the practices. So it's kind of like an integrated approach, very holistic 360 degree view of skin, skin health, but beyond just topical skincare. It's different modalities. Right. So um, when I first met you as many years ago, you were um, working on another brand and the brand was a client of ours. And um, I mean, it's probably over six years ago at this point, but that was my first um, experience with doctor dispensed skincare. Mm -hmm. And until then, I really had... um, it was not on my radar at all. Even though I was in the industry for many years, I was really only focusing on consumer products and consumer brands at the prestige and the prestige level. So um, when I started working on this, my eyes are really open to, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of like the landscape of skincare and how there's so many sort of like department store brands whose price points are probably even well higher than SkinCeuticals or the other places that you've worked. Um, but the performance can, can't come even, close at all, right? The ingredients can't come close and the regimens can't come close. And I saw this as such an opportunity. Totally. And that's why I feel so privileged and honored to work on those brands because they are truly scientifically and clinically validated and and backed. Uh, There's a lot of research that goes into launching a product. I'd like to actually consider them innovations. They're not necessarily just products, a cookie cutter, um, a trend follower. It's truly an innovation made in terms of new ingredient or new application, different modalities, uh, different delivery systems. It could be a combination of active ingredients, their potency the strength, the percentage used, um, they truly make a difference in the skin. And when we do testing, we do testing in live skin in terms of skin pseudocles, proving actually the action of the final finished good formula, not just an ingredient um, in skin. So right. that's quite interesting and it's quite um, exciting. But also when it comes to you know um, the aesthetics and working with physician partners, 
um, it's a higher burden of proof to get them on board and believe and back the you know the brand because their reputation is on the line. So if I was to um, you know creating a product and going you know after masses, I would probably follow the trends. And if masking, multi-masking right now is happening and it's big on social media. Here I come, I'll put, you know, a clay mask together and I'll, you know, put some Amazonian clay or <laughs> whatever it is, market it, put it in a beautiful jar and put a nice model, you know, face on the marketing piece and go to the market. I'm not saying it's easy, but when it comes to physician and going after their patient and their patient needs, and you kind of, you kind of have to fit it into their, you know, treatment room and what they do in a, in a practice setting. So typical dermatologists will see a lot of medical patients. They come with different skin types, skin concerns, such as, you know, it could be aging concern, it could be wrinkle discoloration, but they also have underlying skin conditions such as redness, rosacea, you know, eczema and things of that nature. So our products have to have the purest forms of ingredients in order to be able to serve those patient needs and not cause adverse reaction. And then multiple visits to the doctor for, uh, you know, for the treatment, um, they also have to fit into the needs of this patient and the expectations. So if the physician recommends the product, they really have to believe in it. In order for us to speak the language of a physician, we have to be very scientific. So we have to uh, read peer-reviewed journals. We have to publish our clinical public uh, clinical studies in those journals so they can get the memo about the science. It's not enough just to go to a marketing piece. It's a different language of communication right. know, with the it, physician. I'm, I'm seeing it as like where pharma meets beauty, right? Like a lot exactly. of the techniques of pharma brands in terms of how they market and how they support their physicians. Totally. Right, you have to use. Mm-hmm. As a marketer, I almost have three different audiences. I have the physician partners. I have my field force who actually goes and pitches the idea and products to physicians. They actually have medical sales to walk them through. And then I have different communication strategies to the end user, which is the patient, the patient that comes into the physician practice. So we have to touch them, you know, throughout their journey, you know, through the physician, um, you know, practice and so on and so on. Right. So thank you for that education, that quick mm-hmm. education. Most of our <laughs> listeners are um, industry people, but like I said, I didn't even really understand the doctor dispense world until, you know, I had a client that I needed to learn about. Um, because it wasn't mainstream. I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah, please. To be honest with you, I think the aesthetic market is growing almost 20% year over year, which is crazy when you look at the economy and how fast it's moving. Um, so this part of the beauty market, it, it's actually accelerating sales of luxury or mass. Um, the aesthetic market is growing because different treatments offering are also becoming more mainstream and more affordable. So you hear about cool sculpting, Kybella, injectable therapies, you know, Botox has been around for over 10 years. It's, it's crazy when you think about it. And those companies are coming up with different indications for those modalities. So originally Botox was, you know, um, you know, created to treat migraines, for example. Now we know that also, you know, helps uh, relax your wrinkles. And then you can also, you know, contract perspiration and, you know, inject yourself underarms. And the list goes on and on and on. And we are here to help complement those modalities in uh, in the office setting. So if a patient is getting injectable and they, you know, invested into hyaluronic acid to plump up their skin, obviously they want to have a topical agents and ingredients to complement uh, their investment. So it can be enhanced and carried through between the treatments. So it's not only enough to perhaps, you know, invest into aesthetic <laughs> procedures. You also want to take care of the complex complexion and the canvas that people see on a daily basis. Right. Um, after learning what I did about um, dispensing 
and people would say like, what, what skincare brand should I buy? Or, you know, should mm-hmm. I go to this department store and spend this amount of money? I'd say, just go to the dermatologist. Because <laughs> I really, like at that point, I'm like, there's, you know, of course, like you can get a great moisturizer and a nice eye cream and a you know, lip cream and syrup or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you really wanted to make a difference, like if you really had a need that you wanted to address, there's no point in spending all that money in the department store when you could go to the dermatologist, pay your copay and get something that's going to be like really life-changing for you. Yeah, absolutely. It's an investment. You know, you're spending three or four dollars on your daily coffee run to Starbucks, multiply it by 30 days, that's your $120, you know, skin cervicals corrective product, but really you can see the before and afters and you can, you know, you can see the difference. So it's an investment in yourself, but it definitely pays dividends and it's never too early to start. As I mentioned, you know, I believe the Instagram and the selfie generation prompt us to look in the mirror at the earlier age. I think 20 year old is no longer too young to actually seek aesthetic aesthetic solutions. I think back in the day, if you spoke to a plastic surgeon, the usual patient profile demographics was a lady in her, I don't know, 50s, 60s, 70s. I don't want to discriminate, but they would go and get a you know nose job, facelift, um, you know, eyebrow lift, and so on and so on. Now, instead of going super invasive and getting nipped and tagged, they can, you know, do, um, you know, liposuctions or they can, you know, inject themselves. And and we see younger and younger population going and knocking on the door. Do they need corrective treatments? Probably not, but they want to start preventing, you know, in order to make sure that they have to correct too early on. And SkinCeuticals and other dispensing brands have a portfolio of offerings that kind of touch on those pillars of correction, prevention, and protection. And I think that's the difference between us and the mass market and the lax market that over promises and never delivers in a sense. Right, right. right. Yeah. Um, well, I've, you know, I, the brands that I've used from dispensing have been incredibly powerful and, you know, have actually solved problems that I lived with for years as a teenager and never thought that there was going to be a solution to. Well, great. Um, so mm-hmm. it's kind of incredible, the power. But let's back up. Sure. Um, let's figure out how you got here on this path. Um, take us through your childhood a little bit. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Poland. It's a little country in Europe. <laughs> I used to have a, a king and a queen back in the day and some castles and, you know, old town. Now it's uh, it's obviously a part of the European Union, so it's more progressive. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful country. We have sea and we have the mountains and you got the lake area and you get the little desert. So a little bit of everybody. It's quite diverse uh, nowadays, but the boundaries are open. Back in the day, it was still communist Poland when I was growing up. But um, I went through the transition during my elementary school. Uh, I was forced to, I think, take Russian, so I know how to read and write through like alphabet. And I think I started taking English in my high school. So uh, yeah, so that's all started in Poland, and then uh, I got a scholarship to come to the United States and study. And in high school, that was after high school. Uh-huh. So when I was applying for colleges, and obviously it was just an application, didn't mean anything. I applied at many universities. It's very common for Europeans to travel to our countries, such as you know France, England. Um, many of my friends graduated from Oxford University just because there is sistership agreements, partnership agreements, they exchange students. So it's very common, but to come to the United States, it's kind of like an ocean away. So it was a half and a half, um, but it was an adventure and I was up for it. I love to travel. I love to, you know, test the waters, try different cultures. So it was definitely an eye opening and I fell in love with the country. And next thing I knew, I wanted to get out, get out of the rural Pennsylvania because that's where my school was based out of and see United States for what it really is, for what you see in the movies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so next thing you know, I'm, you know, I'm booking a, a train ride to New York City. I figured, hey, I don't need a car here. I don't need much investment. And there's public transportation. There's an airport if I have to fly back home and, you know, get, get rescued by my family. But 
um, yeah, it, it's kind of like in a nutshell, you know, I, I spent 18 years of my life in Poland and then next thing I know I'm here and it's been almost 20 years. So I am 100% American with a heavy accent <laughs> if it doesn't want to leave me. <laughs> and what was your first job when you got to New York? Uh, actually, I work for a real estate company doing marketing mm -hmm. for them. So Was it hard to get a job? Uh, well, it wasn't easy. It was the area where just internet was just starting up. Right. So I would go to like a public library and search, you know, uh, job postings and still knock on doors and go with my resume in hand. So it was kind of uh, like circa 2001, 2002. <laughs> and did you have aspirations to be in the beauty industry? Always. Always. I mean, I always love fashion and beauty. I think beauty, um, you know, from a young age, I was always, I don't know, drawn, attracted, captivated by beauty. Could it be a nature? Could it be a painting, architecture? Just, you know, beauty in a baby's face and proportions and things of that nature. So um, I think beauty is such a universal language. It doesn't have any boundaries. Everybody can kind of speak it. You can look at a person in Africa or in Asia and you know that this other person is taking care of their, you know, uh, image in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it also kind of transcends time. I mean, when you think about beauty, you think about Cleopatra bathing in the milk and those AHA acids. And then you think about French beauty as a standard. And then you think about K-beauty, Korean beauty nowadays. So... For me, beauty was just very like a timeless industry in a sense, very um, international, very um, creative, and I'm very creative, so it was an outlet for me. Um, and it's a sustainable industry, kind of um, stands the test of time. Even like in a down economy, people are willing to spend the $5 on the lipstick or the right. $20 on the lipstick just to make themselves feel a little bit more beautiful or better about themselves. So I feel like, hey, it would be a good investment to stick around beauty and Beauty is also very, uh, you know, like agile, um, you know, invites trends. So I wanted to be the, you know, mover and shaker in a sense. I also like fashion, don't get me wrong, but I feel like fashion is more vain than beauty. Beauty, again, I was able to bridge the beauty with the health of, you know, of the skin. And and then I'm still loving it. I, I'm very passionate about it. How did you end up getting your first job in the industry? Um, so, uh, I actually got contacted by Topics Pharmaceuticals, who's a private label contract manufacturer. Um, it was just an easy interview. And from what I remember, the person who hired me then said that my name stood out on the pile of resumes for a reason, I guess, because it's quite hard to pronounce. And when I showed up, I guess, uh, I already had some experience working for like valuation consulting companies in Manhattan. Um, that job was based in Long Island. So I think I was bringing this metropolitan aspect a little bit right. and, and Polishness uh, to, to the firm. And I turned around their marketing. I kind of did like the housekeeping, you know, from grounds up, build it up. So it was, it was amazing because very hands-on and I learned the industry from the grounds up, as I said, the contract manufacturing, bringing products to the market from, you know, conception to visualization to, you know, go-to-market strategies, dealing with physician partners, also doing private label, but also promoting the brand. So it was omni-channel and multifaceted, quite, quite interesting. And that was my first love job. Like, I still have a love affair. Oh, with that's so funny. Yeah, no, I, I do. I do. I Fun memories, definitely. It was a hard, to, hard place to leave. Um, I think that the idea of private label is really interesting and maybe a lot of our listeners who are new to the industry don't really understand exactly what that means. Um, can you explain a little bit about what a private label brand looks like for aesthetics? Sure. So uh, private label is an offering where a contract manufacturer will produce a product and at certain quantities make it available to uh, a physician partner. 
um, at you know whatever the cost to apply their name on the products. So you might be buying an eye cream by Dr. Jody Katz. And mm, sounds good. It's not necessarily your proprietary you know uh, formulation. You could choose to go that route if you do contract manufacturing. But when it comes to private label, it's usually the formulation is owned by the company by the contract manufacturing, and we just apply the label, and uh, you can create your own line with your name on it. So. And it's easier to promote, obviously, because then you're protecting from online sales. You cannot be found on Amazon or online on eBay or discounted. Um, the patient will come in to seek your expertise and knowledge about your products. And you can guide them when to step up to certain, you know, uh, prescription almost strength and things of that nature. So sky is the limit. There's a huge portfolio offering. You can pick and choose products you want to bring under your private label, under your brand that fits your patient needs and their, you know, skin concern. Let's say if you live um, in sunny Florida and you're exposed to sunlight or you're alone, you know that you're going to have a lot of patients with discoloration concerns. So you may want to invest into a few products and see if it takes off, you know, based on the needs of your market. And if you live like us in the Northeast, you know, come winter, it's seasonal, you know, you might encounter dryness and then come summer, you want to protect from the sun, you know, you can bring, you know, a more broader, robust portfolio of products under your name. So it's, it's quite interesting. It's quite exciting. And then obviously the marketing part has to be handled by the practice, by the office. So it's a little bit different from selling a brand that already has brand awareness and established reputation and PR machine behind it. That's the case uh, of the brand that I'm working on currently. So private label requires more effort, I guess, on the physician partner to uh, market the product and explain it. But, you know, it's an option. It's definitely an option. Yeah, I like the sound of the Dr. Jody Katz line. Totally. What, what, what would I be a doctor I would in? I buy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's, um, let's talk about um, some tips for people seeking careers in beauty. You know, since you've been in um, so many different positions within this side of the business, um, tell me what people looking to enter the business would find in aesthetics from a marketing point of view and what to learn versus maybe working with a consumer brand? Right. Um, So I think, you know, the beauty of the mass beauty is definitely lacking the professional component or the connection that uh, a professional expert can bring in. And to be honest with you, the aesthetic uh, industry or aesthetic brands, you are connected to the end user through your physician partners. So you get kind of insights and intel through them. Um, What else is different? I think um, the the knowledge of the newest and the coolest technologies in the market that comes with the aesthetic uh, industry is amazing because you get the, you know, right of first refusal to see, preview, or pilot, test different um, delivery systems, different um, devices that are on the market, different indication for those devices, laser therapies, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, you get different you know, indications for existing uh, solutions. It's kind of like a 360-degree approach, an overview of everything that beauty industry has to offer. So it's beyond skincare, beyond topical it's the lasers, it's the injectables, it's, you know, yeah. Right. I mean, and that must be so incredible actually to like not be a physician, like we don't want to be a physician, Mm -hmm. but to be able to be on the front lines of all those innovations and be um, having conversations on a daily basis with the people who are moving these, this type of device or tool or technique forward. Yes. Um, It's like, I guess the the best of um, the physician dermatology world, if you didn't want to go to medical school. 
Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Did you ever want to go to medical school? Was that ever an interest of yours? I did. So actually my mom gave me two choices, you know, to be a lawyer and a a physician. And I was like, oh, I would love to be a physician. But I faint when I see blood (laughs) and I didn't know that I could be like a physician researcher. And I think I would be so amazing at it because as I mentioned, I am a geek at heart. I love to understand what goes into final formula. I want to understand the the composure of the of the formulation, why certain ingredients exist, why they, you know, the way they exist, why they complement each other or not. So, yeah, so being able to tap into this knowledge and kind of bring the power of to the physician and the marketer in me, um, the two point of views, two mindsets, it's, it's we are better together because we are able to enhance patient outcomes. Uh, we are able to identify needs and gap in the market that they have that they don't even realize they have. It's just by having a conversation, natural conversation, I can pick ideas or, or things that they are not even voicing, but it comes out as a secondary message. And I can't tell you how many times I was ready with a go-to-market strategy and a launch plan for products. And a month earlier, we would like pull everything out and change our strategy because we identified that, hey, having a secondary visual for this uh, product launch would benefit us in an amazing way or changing a positioning or maybe changing a word, um, launching a device. And instead of promoting the device, promoting the treatment, because that's what you are pretty much, you know, uh, going after the treatment market. You know, it all comes from, you know, hosting advisory board and being able to connect with the physician partners. And they are super open and eager to share the knowledge. They are extremely passionate about the industry. So are the estheticians, as I mentioned, they are the point of contact for us, for the patient, for the true end user. And that end user, at least for SkinCeuticals, is quite sophisticated. She's the mover and shaker. She's willing to try new things. She wants to test and learn. And she really relies on knowledge and expertise of the physician. So without them, we wouldn't exist in a sense. And I wouldn't have a job and I wouldn't have a purpose. So it's a two-way street. It's a nice partnership that we are having. Do you think that the physicians get um, overwhelmed by like the noise in the beauty industry the way that like a consumer would? You know, how cluttered it is and how many messages there are. Do you think that they get overwhelmed? I'm sure they are. Yeah, they also get bombarded because they are consumers as well. Right. <laughs> and with the digital media and digital marketing and programmatic campaigns and uh, and audience targeting, I think they are also being, uh, you know, uh, targeted as, as possible consumers. So it's nice to kind of, you know, declutter and, um, you know, just go after what it's true and they believe in. And you have in your role, like, Direct contact with these physicians. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. So you're able to have just person-to-person conversations with them and not really marketing conversations necessarily, but just conversations. Yes, and I visit them in practices or we host advisory boards or insider programs where we fly them to a location, off-site location, wind them down, but also obviously have uh, you know topics to cover, present them ideas, concepts, get their feedback to see if it fits their practice needs or where the future you know, of the industry is heading and so on and so on. So it's quite insightful. Like I said, we wouldn't exist or be as successful if it wasn't for them, to be honest with you. Right. So, um, you know, in the aesthetics dermatology world, I feel like the missing, the missing treatment is a pill I can take so my hair is not gray, mm-hmm. right? So dermatologists, you know, that's the scalp and hair is part <laughs> of their domain, right? Yes. Um, why do you think that this hasn't happened yet? Oh, that's a great question. I would have to like contact our labs and research and innovation team. I have no idea. I think we are stuck with the uh, hair coloring for a while. I know, but <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't there be a way around it by now? There right? Should. We have solutions to so many things. If I can just take that vitamin and my hair stays 
brown mm-hmm. and I don't have to run to the salon. This would be amazing, right? Yeah. This is a billion dollar idea. Totally. I think it has to do with some melanin production and maybe some enzyme that would trigger it. I don't know, but it's definitely skin deep. So it's a quick, you know, a good question for Yeah, maybe <laughs> we'd have like tons of hair all over our bodies then. Like everything would be dark. Right. <laughs> well, back in the day, I used to pluck my eyebrows and eyebrows are in and I have to like spend five minutes before I leave the door to make sure that my eyebrows are painted perfectly. So guess what? I think Latisse works on this culprit, right? Yes. For the lashes and the eyebrows eyebrows but i don't think we can afford latisse for the entire scalp so that's yeah. right but i don't i don't want the more gray hair to grow i want brown hair to grow You're the writer. <laughs> <laughs> so hey. for our last question um let's talk about what you look for in a team member right you have um, a lot of people working under you you're part of a really significant brand um what are the qualities that you look for in hiring new people Okay, so by default, you just mentioned a team member. I need a team member to be a team player in the first place. So um, our brand, I believe, and also L'Oreal attracts an amazing talent. And these are all type A personalities. So I need a person to have soft skills, extremely important nowadays, um, especially in the super agile environment that we are working with. And we're going 100 miles an hour and, you know, deadlines are like always due yesterday. It's never like, you know, you don't have time to prep and prepare so I need the person to be super flexible, meaning, you know, exercise flexibility when I ask them to do one thing over another, which may not, you know, fall into the scope of work or natural job description. Um, they have to have first for knowledge because I believe that you need to be on top of trends and stay ahead of the curve in order to be competitive in this industry today. So somebody who's willing to um, take initiative, uh, be a team player, but also be very independent, doesn't need much direction. They can just get things done. That's half of the battle and half of the process. And uh, have a plan, plan for your life. I don't want you to come and just practice things on my team or under my you know, supervision just to figure out that, hey, this is not what you want to be doing. I want you to already know that, hey, three years from now, I want to be advancing to this level. I want to be responsible for this part of the business. I want to run the brand. I want somebody who's super ambitious because I don't have time for anything less than that. Evelina, this is so interesting and exciting, and I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with mm-hmm. us today. My pleasure. Um, you can all find Dr. Jody Cat Skincare at beastbeauty.com. <laughs> um, if you have feedback for the show, please go to iTunes and write a review and find us on Instagram at Base Beauty Creative Agency. Thanks, Evelina. Thank you, Jody. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.